Baruch Hashem, we're continuing the Mimer Alkein Karu, which was the second Mimer that Rebbe said at the Purim Fabrengen of Tavshin Yud Gimel, 1953. And those of you who are following along this series of classes on this Mimer may be thinking at this point, if you're listening, like on a podcast, you probably aren't thinking this, but if you're watching on a video uh, platform, you're seeing the background and you're like, hold on a second, don't you normally give this class as a live class at the Levi Yitzchok Library in Cedarhurst? And the answer is yes. So then you're thinking, well, why are you in your studio now shooting this by yourself? Okay, great question. I gave the class last Wednesday and I came back and the video didn't work. The shoot didn't work. So then I reshot it right away. And that also didn't work for a totally different reason. So this is the third time I'm recording this, so hopefully I'll uh, I'll say it well this time. Okay, at any rate, we left off last week with a question, which is, based on everything we've learned about the lottery, it would seem that really it was the perfect, I mean, I use the word perfect, I mean, we're talking about a wicked evil plan, but within the context of a wicked evil plan, it seemed like the perfect thing for Haman to employ to get away with his wicked evil plan. And and we explained how within the system of creation, Haman knew that ultimately, you know, he could harass the Jews, but he's not going to get rid of Jews, that, that there's no such thing as the system of reality as we know it that is Jewless. So Haman knew that his, his whole goal is not going to work within the way that things are set up. So what did he do? What did he do? He said, "Well, I'll, I'll do the lottery thing, which, as we explained, goes above the system. The system begins from chokma, and above chokma is rotzin. We explained why a geira, why a lottery goes above chokma, goes to rotzin, because instead of making an intelligent choice, pros and cons, and you weigh your your options, you make a random choice. So the idea of randomness of lottery was like that idea of going above the system to what we call Rotzain. And um, in fact, we even said the Balo Rotzain, which is higher than Rotzain, not just the will, but the one who has the will. At any rate, it seemed like a really, really good plan on, I mean, for Haman, <laughs> on, on, on his part. And we left off with a question last week, which was, okay, so why didn't it work? That was our cliffhanger last week. So why didn't it work? I mean, thank God it didn't work, but why didn't it work? Okay. We're not going to answer that question this week. We're going to build on the question. We are going to build on the question. We are on chapter six now of the Mimer, and we're going to understand even more why Homan really wanted that lottery and why that was so important to him. And it's going to build our question like, wow, Haman really, really, if anyone ever had a chance of doing this terrible thing, Haman was the one who cracked the code by figuring out that lottery thing. Okay, so let's do chapter six. And if you need to catch up, if you need review, I suggest just go rewatch the first two classes. I believe the first class we, we cover chapters one and two, and in the second class, I think we did chapters three, four, and five, I believe. Okay, so now we're on chapter six. Now we're going to continue, we're going to connect what we've been learning to the concept of a chashvedish. It's interesting, this whole time we didn't, we didn't really speak about a chashvedish. We spoke a lot about the lottery, which was a homin thing. We didn't really speak about a chashvedish. 
So what is Achashverosh? The Achashverosh who Achash Varosh. Achashverosh's name breaks down into Achash Varosh. Chash hu malashin shsika, and chash means silence. Shsika is silence. Gedisa bagamara my chashmal chulo itim chashois itim mamalalois. Like the gemara says in Chagiga, what is chashmal? Chashmal is in, in modern Hebrew it's electricity. But in uh, the vision of Yechezkel, Ezekiel the prophet, when he sees the Merkava, the chariot, so he sees this chashmal, and uh, what is it? The Gemara asks, so it's the angels which are sometimes making a noise and sometimes silent, or rather says first, sometimes silent, sometimes making a noise. The word chash means silent. Okay, so a chash veirosh, the word or that syllable chash in the name of chashveirosh means silence. Now, this particular type of silence is silence that is higher than speech. Alderech, which is similar to the sentiment expressed in the rabbinic idiom. Mila besala, I'll give you a coin for a word. But silence, I'll give you two coins. Your silence is worth double what your word is worth. In other words... There's a concept of silence which is beneath speech, and there's a concept of of silence which is above speech. What does that mean? Well, silence that's beneath speech is, it's not that the idea is too profound to communicate, it's that the person is ignoring you. So they're just not being forthcoming, they're not giving you the information. They have information, they could speak the information, they're not giving it to you. They're, they're, they're giving the silent treatment. So that's beneath speech. Silent treatment is really babyish and immature. That's definitely beneath speech. But then there's silence which is above speech. Silence which is above above speech means that there's something going on that's so profound, speech wouldn't do it justice. So it's really that, that pregnant silence that speaks way more than words ever could. Okay, that's what it means, silence which is above speech. The shayrish hadibrahu bechachma. The source, the spiritual source of Dibor, of speech, is in Chochmah. Now, those who learned a little bit of Chassidus are going to say, hold on a second, I know that Dibor is synonymous with Malchus. You're right, it is. But Abba Yosef Brata, the father has a daughter. Malchus is the daughter. Chochmah is the father. Dibor is speech, but it's ultimately rooted in Chochmah. And I'll, I'll put it in a very simple way. When you speak, you're conveying information, something some type of chokhmah. So speech is rooted in chokhmah. Okay, now we've explained before in this mimer that chokhmah is the sealing of the system. It's the beginning, it's the initial flash of intuition that begins any process, and it's the highest level uh, within, say, the Rishtalshlis, as we've explained at length in this mimer. Okay, so dibur, speech, is chokhmah. Ushika but silence is kasser, the crown, which is one more, which is above the system. Like the sages say, that the fence around chokma is silence. What does that mean? A fence can mean a perimeter or something encompassing. It's referring to Kesser, which is a level which is transcendent of Chochmah. In other words, when we say that silence is the fence 
to Chachma, what we mean is it's the outlying perimeter. That when you go beyond Chachma and you go higher than what can be conveyed as, as intellect, then you go into that transcendent realm beyond, which is Kesser, or as we mentioned earlier in the Mimer, Ratzain. Kesser and Ratzain are synonymous. Okay, and this is consistent with the, with the configuration that we've been following so far in the Mimer. All right, so the point is, Hashverish has that word Hash in it, which means silence, which means the idea of going, it's a very high level of Elokos. Remember, Hashverish, Hamelech, represents Hashem. It doesn't say Hashem anywhere in the Megillah, but we know Kabbalistically when it says HaMelech, that's a reference to a higher level narrative that's concurrently uh, taking place. When the terrestrial narrative is taking place, you also have the spiritual narrative. And the king, Hashverish, represents Hashem. And what level within Hashem? A very high level, a level which is beyond Chachma, a level which is equivalent to Kesser, a level which is silence, which is above speech. Okay, above the system. All right. Now there's another concept where Hashvedish is a byword for Hashem. And it's what the Medrash says that Hashvedish refers to Hashem because Achris Vereshish Shalai. Hashvedish is like a slur of Achris. Achris means the end. Reshis means the beginning. Achris Vereshish Shalai. Shalai to him belong to him, that Hashem is the one to whom the end and the beginning belong, meaning he is beyond, you have the alpha to the omega, the entirety of the system from the beginning to the end, and both of them fit inside of Hashem. He is beyond and transcends ends and beginnings. Ki hu or And that's the same thing as saying kasser, because kasser is the or the surrounding light, as opposed to the mamale, the filling light. Which, which is higher than the chain-like progression system of worlds. Because the, the encompassing light, which is higher than the system, it can contain, and it does contain, and end and beginning, equally. When you're in the system, so and are very significant designations. They point to two different extremes of the system. But when you're outside of the system, when you're talking about Kesser, which encompasses the entire system within it, what's the difference between Achris and Reishis? What's the difference between the beginning or the end? Kesser transcends both of them equally. Achris for Shalai, which is what it means that both Achris and Reishis are his, belong to him. Okay, so we just said two things. We said that Hashverish is Hash, divine silence, silence which is above speech, meaning Kesser. Similarly, we said Hashverish is Achris Vereshish Shalai, that the ends and the beginnings equally belong to him because he transcends both equally, which is also Kesser. Okay, so those two things are consistent. But Tzadok Lahoven, we have to understand that Abba asks a question. The Begemara Isada Hashverish Hu Al Shame Shuhushru Pneum Shal Israel Bayamov. The Gemara says a Hashverish hints to the concept, and it doesn't have to be Hashverish doesn't have to mean one thing. It can mean multiple things. In fact, we just explained how it means two different things. We're just trying to figure out how this third thing fits in with those first two things, which is Shuhushru Pneum Shal Israel Bayamov. That in his day, Hushru means 
darkened. The faces of the Jews were darkened. It doesn't mean their complexion. It means, uh, I mean, maybe it had a physiological symptom, but it means that they were walking around all like stressed out. They had like a stressed out look on their face because, um, yeah, they had uh, this decree hanging over them. It was, I mean, even before the decree, actually, it's important to note that even before Homan, the advent of Homan, it was a dark time for the Jews. Because remember, uh, the base of Mikdash had just been destroyed. The Holy Temple had been destroyed. The Jews were in exile. And then the, there was like a regime change. That's how Hashvedish came to be the ruler over the Jews. Because, you know, remember, the Babylonians destroyed the, the base of Mikdash. But then there was a regime change, and then Hashvedish gets uh, he, he takes over all of the vessels that were plundered from the base of English, and he's serving them at his cocktail party, and it's a huge, massive Chilol uh, Shama disgrace, and, um, you know, it's a dark time. So, Hushru Peneim means, Hashverish, Hushru Peneim, that their faces were darkened in his day, which is a, a negative thing. Okay, so the Rebbe asks, How do you fit that with what we explained earlier that a chashverish means this high level of kesser to whom achris and reishis ends and beginnings are equally his. You understand? Achris v'reishis shaloi is the, 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 this lofty level, kesser. Hushru <coughs> their faces were darkened to in his days, is a low level. I mean, it's a very negative experience. I made a bracha earlier before we started rolling video, by the way. Okay. So here's the concept. How we're going to reconcile is a chashvedish a really high level or a really low level? Basically is our question. The means the question is the answer. Look more deeply in the question. You're going to have your answer. The cave in the shemitzada since when you go to the level of Kasser, which transcends the system, so light and dark are equal. We said before, ends and beginnings are equal, but also all designations, all descriptions within the system are equal for, for the, from the point of view of Kasser. So light and dark are the same. therefore, from this lofty high level of a chashvedish, which means chash, which means the silence that is above speech, the silence that is silent because its profundity transcends speech. Well, from that lofty spiritual source comes down, devolves after many tzimtzumim, albeit the, you know, the, there's many, it's not a straight express train, but through the process of coming down through Ishtalshlis, what happens is that manifests in a form which is shika shlamata midibur, silence which is lower than speech. And what I would, what is it called when God's speech or where you would expect to hear God's speech? And when I say God's speech, I don't necessarily mean like God speaking, like speaking to a prophet, but I mean where divine communication is openly felt, where you feel that hashkacha pratis, the way that Hashem is running the world is, is very evident, and you feel that life is a, is, is a communication with Hashem. Okay, but then what if you don't feel that way? What if you feel like it seems, and again, it seems, it only seems this way, but it seems like things are going on that are not according to what Hashem would want, and he's silent. He's not getting involved, <coughs> which <clears throat> kind of describes the situation 
of the Jews in the time of Achashverosh. You just had the destruction of the temple. Now this silly king is taking out the holy articles and vessels of the temple and desecrating them by using them at his lewd parties. Where's God? Like, where's divine justice? So, yeah, Hashverosh starts as this lofty level of Dibor, which is of, of Shika, which is higher than Dibor, silence which transcends speech. But the way it comes down here and manifests on a, on, on a physical plane can be a silence which is beneath speech, where it's like, come on, Hashem, don't you have a statement? Like, at least get in here and, 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 and protest and say this is wrong. Say, say, say this is not what you want. Uh, why, why, why do we feel like Hashem is completely ambivalent, completely ignoring us? So that's what it means. I mean, God forbid to say that God is really ignoring, but that's the experience. Subjectively, it feels that way. Um, and so we're saying, is, how, do you, how do you reconcile Hashverosh uh, as being this lofty level and being this really, historically speaking, Hashverosh's rule was this very low level? Well, the Rebbe says, he and Nesenis, the, the one thing comes from the other, that from this lofty level of silence that's above speech, you have silence that's below speech, ultimately. Shalokus behalam, where you have godliness in a, it is, is concealed, right? People are, the bad guys are prevailing, they're doing whatever, whatever they want, they don't seem that they have to answer for it, that's what it means, godliness is concealed. It says in parentheses, which I love and I adore these parentheses because <laughs> if you learn a little bit of chassidus, you learn that helam, concealment, is actually like a really lofty level. That when something is concealed, it's not the absence of revelation. Concealment can be that something so lofty, it doesn't lend itself to revelation. Kind of like what we were saying before about silence, which is higher than speech. So the Rebbe says in parentheses, yeah, no, but when I say here, Helam, I'm talking about Helam Kipshutai, literal Helam, Shalamata Megillah. In other words, sometimes revelation is higher than, sometimes concealment is higher than revelation, meaning it's so deep and profound, it doesn't lend itself to revelation. Sometimes concealment is just concealment. <laughs> sometimes it's just concealment, meaning like, hey, where's where's the revelation over here? Why are you holding out on us? So the, the experience that we had in the time of Ahasuerus' rule, and this is even before the advent of Haman, before Haman shows up, this is important, we have to understand this. Just the Hashverish's rule was a time where it was really like concealment. Where is Hashem? Va'ad, and then it could even be more than that, not just uh, divine concealment. Lashika de na'lama. The sheep is mute before the ones shearing it. And that, you know, the Jewish people are compared to a sheep. So it means that. The Jewish people are being abused and really are not even able to protest. And that means that Abba says not only is godliness hidden, but klipa, the negative forces, are prevailing or seem to be prevailing. Not just the neutral klipa, which is called chash, but even worse than that, the three irredeemable clippers, which are called Reish, and that's also a Hash Ve Reish, a Hash Ve 
Reich. So, um, Achashverosh means this lofty level of silence, which is above Chachma, which is the level of Kesser, which is transcendent. Chashverosh means Achres Vereshes Shalai. Again, Kesser, which is which is all encompassing and therefore ends and beginnings are equal from its perspective. And yet, Achashverosh is also Hushru um, Shal Yisrael, the Jewish people, are having a hard time. And how do we put those two things together, that Achashverosh is this lofty level, and Achashverosh historically was this very difficult era, uh, we say that well, one, one comes from the other. That up there in its source, it's this lofty level of concealment in, a, in, in, the, in the most grand sense of concealment. Concealment because it's too profound to be limited in any particular expression but then when it comes down here and we experience it in this world it's it comes out as concealment and silence which feel like god forbid but feel like divine indifference okay so that's the end of chapter six and after that after we finish chapter six we set ourselves up now to ask a very powerful question in chapter seven which is and i'll foreshadow or pretty much give it away um if a chashverish already means a time of divine concealment and divine silence and seeming divine indifference then basically it's a time when the bad guys can do whatever they want so Haman should have just seized that opportunity and sought to destroy the jews and it should have been enough that he's in the era of a chashverish which is an era of Bad guys getting away with stuff. Why did Haman need to do the lottery thing? What was what was the need for that? To go to do that extra thing of the lottery? You're already in a time of a Hashverish, which means that Hashem seemingly is letting bad guys get away with a lot of shtick. Okay, let's do chapter seven. The Yeshlaim so it's possible to explain. The reason that Haman cast a lot in order to reach that level of randomness, which, as we said, is higher than the system. Even though in the era of Achashverosh, even before Haman came along and cast his lot, it was already a situation which we call outside of the system. So why did Haman need to go that to take that extra measure of of doing the lottery? In other words, we said before we established the whole idea of the lottery was to get outside of the system. That within the system, there's no such thing as getting rid of the Jews. But with you step outside of the system, and anything can happen. At least there's equal probabilities for anything to happen. It's a coin flip, and that's what Haman wanted. But he doesn't need that because the era of Achashverosh is already an era that is. Kesser, which is above Hishtalshlis, which is Achris and Reishis are equal, and Or and Cheshech, light and dark are equal. So go ahead, Haman. Even if you're darkness, you've got an equal shot against light, which is Mordechai. This is, if there were ever an opportune time, Haman, this is your time. Just go for it. Why do you need to do the lottery thing? Okay. But he did do the lottery thing. So that's what we're asking. <sighs> Who? The answer is. Because lottery is even higher. Lottery is even higher. (laughs) 
if a Hashvedish is that level that's beyond the system, and therefore down here it can feel like all types of stuff can happen, um, bad guys can get away with stuff because Hashem is on such a lofty level where he's not really making a distinction between good and bad, right? And that's Hashvedish. But Gödel is even higher. Gödel is even loftier than that. And Haman said, I, I don't want to just go one notch higher. I want to go beyond, I want to go beyond, beyond. And the, and the idea is like this. The fact that a Hashverish's name, as we mentioned before, is Achris Vereshis Shaloi, ends and beginnings belong to him equally. But there's still the concept of ends and beginnings. You follow what I'm saying? Yeah, it comes out that Achris and Reshis are equal to the perspective of Kesser, but they're still recognizably, this is Achris and this is Reishis. Yeah, from the perspective of Kesser, it doesn't have, t- t- from the perspective of Kesser, Achris and Reishis, effectively, same thing. No, 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 no difference. Yeah, but you still know that that's Achris and that's Reishis. So Haman didn't like that. He said, look, I understand that from a perspective of a Hashverish, when the world is operating on, on the level, that lofty level of Kesser, I understand that me and Mordechai are basically, we've got equal odds. We've got equal odds. Because light and dark and good and evil and all that stuff, Klip and Kedusha, it's all, from the perspective of Kesser, it's beyond all those designations. But Haman said, I'm still not comfortable with the fact that the designations still exist. Yes, from the perspective of Kesser, the designations become practically irrelevant, but they still exist. He says, that's not, that's not safe enough for me. Not safe enough for me. In other words, from the perspective of a Hashverish, you have Achris and you have Reishis, but they are Shavim, they are equal to him. But there's still something called Achris, and there's still something called Reishis. And in fact, let, we're, let's back this up. What does that mean? That you have levels, but effectively they're treated equally. The Rebbe says here in brackets, In, in the Megillah, it says that Hashverish made a, a, a party for all of his officers and servants. And then afterwards, he made a party for the masses, for everybody. And in Lukuti Tere, in the Alter Rebbe's Maimorim, it explains, The level of godly revelation, okay, okay, down here we're talking about a party, but up there in spiritual realms, we're talking about there's a level of godly revelation that is for officers and um, high-ranking servants. And then there's a divine revelation that is accessible to the average guy off the street. Okay, so these are different levels of divine revelation. So what we're saying is that even in a Hashverish's party, yeah, he let anybody walk in off the street in their flip-flops and their t-shirt. You know, normally you want to come to the king's party, you got to be a VIP, you got to have an invitation, you got who you got to be somebody, you got to know somebody. No, here anybody in their flip-flops could walk in off the street, but but there still were different 
designations. In other words, yeah, he would let any Joe Schmo in off the street, but it was still understood that this guy's a VIP and this guy's a Joe Schmo. Just he let the VIPs and the Joe Schmoes in to the same party. You understand what we're saying? Allah he goes a little bit more. Adding to this same concept. Even in the level of revelation that was available to the masses, to anyone who just wanted to walk in off the street, they were sub-gradations. So there are gradations between officers and high-ranking servants and the regular masses. And then with even, even within the masses, there were sub-gradations. Like it says, Those who were worthy of going to the courtyard could get into the courtyard. Those who could get into the garden would get into the garden. Those who could get into the pavilion would get into the pavilion. These are different you know, seating charts. You have the first balcony, and you have mezzanine, and then you have... The orchestra seats. So the Rebbe says like this, the, that, the concept is like this. Really, the divine revelation was only technically fitting for the level called Sodom. Officers, but because a chashvedish is that level where achris and reishis become effectively the same, so that's why a chashvedish was letting everybody come into the party. And yet, even when he let everybody in, there were levels, there were seating areas, chutzer and gina, and so on and so forth. There were different seating areas. And then if even within the masses, the masses had different seating areas. This is Haman's problem. When we say is the level where Achris and Reishis are effectively the same, we mean for him, from his lofty, exalted perspective, because he's off the chart. He's, he's beyond the system. So for him, what difference does it make, Achris and Reishis? But it doesn't mean there is no difference between Achris and Reishis. It just means he's too lofty to be bothered by the, the, this, by the distinction. But subjectively, regarding the level of revelation that is going to take place in the world for the recipients, there's going to be greater divine revelation in the higher worlds, which we call Reishis, than there is divine revelation in the lower worlds, which we call Achris. Okay, so, yeah, from the perspective of Kasser, Atsilus is the same as Asiya, right? The highest world and the lowest world. But Atsilus is still Atsilus, and Asiya is still Asiya. And from the perspective of the recipients in those worlds, the Natsolom and Atsilus are going to receive a whole lot more divine revelation than being down here in Elam Hoasiya, in the lowest world. Okay, for him, from his perspective, yeah, what difference does it make? But from the subjective experience of those who are in those worlds receiving divine revelation, of course there's going to be a difference. And, that, and that's what Haman was saying. Like, I get it that we're in a time where Hashem is acting like he's totally on a level of Kesser, where anything that happens within the system is, is too minute to make a difference. Those distinctions within the system are are irrelevant to him, or at least that, that's how it, it appears. Haman says it's not good enough. It's not good enough because at the end of the day, 
I know how it's going to work. I'm just like, I, I know I know Jewish history. At the end of the day, yeah, right now, Hashem is treating the Jews indifferently, but he still knows these are the Jews and these are their oppressors. And and, and Haman's like, I'm not comfortable with, with those odds. However, not so if you go to the level of geirol, of randomness. Then there are no designations of ends and beginnings. See, a chashvedish is just where, yeah, there's end and there's beginning, but from the perspective of, of Kesser, who cares? Haman's like, no, 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 I want to go to a level where there is no such thing as achres and reishis. Like we said in chapter two, a lottery is between two identical things, like the Yim Kippur lottery, right? The two goats were equal in size and, and value. And, and, and for sure, when the uh, they would pull the little lottery tickets out of that box, I mean, they were identical. One didn't feel differently than the other. They were both, they were both the same ticket. Just one had one thing written on it. The other had another thing written on it, right? So that's what Haman wanted. Haman, want, Haman didn't want that Hashem should look down and be like, here are the Jews, here's everybody else. Eh, who cares? What difference does it make? Haman wanted that Hashem, he wanted to access a level of Hashem that's so lofty that Hashem would look down at creation and literally see no difference between the Jews and their oppressors. It sh- there shouldn't even exist a difference. And if we can get to a level where above and below become synonymous, yeah, so then we can have a level where Klip and Kedusha are synonymous. L- like, not just synonymous effectively, practically, but there cease to be such designations. There's a difference between holy and unholy. Only what? He's so lofty. It doesn't make so much of a difference to him. And that's how the klippa actually gets its unika that when you're dealing with a level that lofty, it's not really making distinctions. It's not saying like, oh, you're not worthy. Oh, you are worthy. It's kind of just being indiscriminate. And in fact, even from a level of a chashvedish, not only can klippa get energy, but it could actually even come back and overpower kedusha. Which is Hushru Pneum Shal Yisrael, which we described as the the tense situation that the Jews were in during Cheshvesh's rule. The Yeshlemer says that I've been brackets Al Derech Shamomas Biadayim Titofes Vihibehechle Melech. There's a parable in parables, Mishli from Shlema Melech, King Solomon, where he describes a spider grabbing at the walls in the in the king's palace. And now it's kind of gross. If you would zoom in and look at it under a microscope, you're like, yuck. But nobody's zooming in with a microscope. <laughs> so the point is... <coughs> sorry. The spider is out of place in the king's palace. It's unbecoming. It doesn't, doesn't belong there. 
but precisely because we're in the king's palace, nobody's paying attention to the spider, so it's getting overlooked. And that that's the parable. Sometimes you have something it's nasty in a and it's in a an exalted place, but precisely because it's an exalted place, the nastiness sort of just gets ignored. And that's the level of a chashverish where. Yeah, if you would really zoom in and say, is that a spider? You'd say, yeah, it's a spider and it's yuck. And I wish it weren't here. But if nobody's zooming in on it, it's like, just ignore it. Who cares? There's a spider. And and, and that's what, without any homin, without any gairo, without any lottering, the time of a chashverish is a time where there's nastiness going on and the, the king is so lofty on a, on a level of keser, of silence above speech, where nastiness can go on. It just kind of gets overlooked and ignored. Even though the spider is yucking up, that's the technical term, he's yucking up the, the, the throne room. But because, because the king is so lofty, he doesn't really pay any mind to it, he ignores it. But that's not enough of a, of a, a seeming indifference that would allow Haman to destroy the Jews. Haman understood that Achashverosh already, the era of Achashverosh already means a time where you could get away with a lot of shtick, where Hashem is on this lofty level where a lot of stuff is getting overlooked and ignored. But getting rid of the Jews entirely, completely like Haman wanted to do, that's not going to get overlooked. It's not going to get ignored. So Haman's like, I can't just ride in on the coattails of this Achashverosh divine indifference era. I need something more powerful, more lofty. Okay, let me, let me back up. But Haman knew that even this level of divine loftiness, which comes across as indifference, is not enough to get away with, God forbid, uh, eradicating the Jews. When Haman wanted to actually get rid of all the Jews, he he employed the method of lottery to get even higher, to the real randomness, where there would be no more distinction between him and Mordechai. When you're talking about a lottery where things are random, there's no difference between holy and unholy. Especially like what we explained in chapters 3 and 4 of this mimer, that the lottery is not just higher than the system, but it's actually higher than Hashem's will for Torah Mitzvahs. We explained that before. In a good way, how Yim Kippur works that way, that you messed up. You didn't do Hashem's will for Torah Mitzvahs. How can he forgive you? Oh, because he's Hashem. He's the Balorot, and he can forgive you. He can decide what his Ratzin is. Well, <coughs> lottery is going to such a high lofty level. Yeah, no, normally that's a good thing. But think about what that means. That means if your Torah Mitzvahs don't matter anymore because Hashem is so lofty, then what are you asking for special treatment? In other words, you're going to come to Hashem and say, but Hashem, we're your children. We do your mitzvahs. You can't let us be eradicated. Well, you're talking to a level of Hashem, which seemingly, at least from Haman's perspective, is so lofty where it's like, what are mitzvahs? Oh, that thing? Yeah, I don't know. That doesn't really move me. Doesn't really, no. You and Haman, you're you're equal to me. In fact, I don't even see any difference between you and Haman. To me, it's eeny, meeny, miny, mo, totally random. And that's what Haman, in his wicked way, wanted to tap into. Loching, therefore, 
Haman thought, if I can go to the level of lottery, then I have a chance to pull it off. I can't do it within the system, meaning from Chochmah on down. Even going above the system on the level of a Hashvedish, where, where Hashem is, is, is allowing a lot of stuff to happen, and he's seemingly ignoring it and just letting it go. I could get away with a lot of stuff, but I'm not going to be able to remove the Jews completely. But if I'll go even higher than that, then, then there's no reason why not. Then it's just, literally, it's a coin flip. And that's where Haman was heading to. And now we're back where we were last week when we said, this is so evilly ingenious. Why didn't it work? Yeah, why didn't it work? Okay, for that, God willing, we'll have the answer next in, next, in the next class when we, God willing, finish the mimer. Okay, thank you. I hope this recording worked. If you're watching this, then it did. Baruch Hashem.